Hi, welcome everybody. This is Joe Gill. Uh, unfortunately, minus Ashley McGrath, uh, she got caught in um, holiday madness. So the Wicked Creative Collective is a, is one right now. Um, but we're very thrilled to have our uh, guest, David Merman Scott, with us. Uh, if you don't know David, I just want to give you a quick intro of who David is. Uh, back in 2002, David was fired because his ideas were too radical for his new bosses. And he started writing books around digital marketing and social media marketing. Uh, in 2007, his new uh, book of New Rules of Marketing PR opened eyes to the new realities of marketing, public relations on the web. And the book was a huge impact on me. That pretty much changed my career from event marketing to digital marketing. And I still remember taking that class with David at that hotel in Bedford, Massachusetts, <laughs> way back in the day. Um, he has had other books too, uh, Real-Time Marketing PR, Worldwide Rave, which is one of my favorites as well. Uh, marketing lessons from the Grateful Dead. So just love to have the, the musical connections. Awesome. The new rules of sales and service. Marketing in the moon, which is now being made into a film, which is that's exciting. We'll talk about that. And his new book, Phenocracy, which is being set to release on January seventh, just in a couple of weeks. Uh, David is also the co-founder, partner of Signature Tones, a sonic branding studio, and he sits on many advisory boards. And he also delivers keynote speeches to all uh, keynote speeches all over the world. So welcome, David, to the Wicked Creative Collective. Thank you, Joe. It's uh, it's great to be here. And um, you know, we were we were supposed to record this a couple of days ago, but we had a snow day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that shows that absolutely throws monkey wrenches into a lot of things. Me, and Ashley, had to take care of our kids, and uh-huh. I know you have a daughter. You probably all been good. there at one point too. All good. Uh, no, all good. That's that's what you get for living in New England, right? Yep. But I wouldn't change it for the world, right? Exactly. Um, so uh, what we kind of do off the top, Dave, we ask a question of what you learned this week. So I'll just kind of go first. Okay. Um, I've been in kind of a state of flux with my career. So I was, uh, you know, working for corporate, a corporate job last November, and then I went freelancing. And the freelancing went good for a bit, and now it's kind of gone stale and kind of the money's not coming in. And it's kind of very trying time for me to figure out what should I do, right? So. Yeah. I have one foot back in going to the nine to five and one foot still holding on to the entrepreneurial dream, if you will. <laughs> um, but I learned that sometimes you just need to take a break and step back and get some me time, which uh, I kind of took a ride down to uh, a casino, right? And it's one of those things like, do I have tons of money to spend? Probably not, but it kind of was worth it for me to get away, right? Yeah. And I ended up winning, which was nice. So oh, that's, that's good. That's always a plus, but... So that's kind of what I took away, just to reset, recalibrate, especially with the holidays. That's a good way to do it as well with family and friends. So, David, what did you learn this week? You know, I just want to riff off what you said. Um, I've been, um, I was a corporate guy for 15 years, and I've been unemployed for 17 years. And that's how I look at it. I look like I feel like I'm unemployed. Really? Cause, yeah, because I have so much fun. And I think, good way to put it. I think um, as you're, as you're, man, as you're managing that in your own life, um, I've found that the more I focused on the things I love, mm-hmm. the more the money came. Um, and so, you know, you, you alluded to some of that in your introduction. You know, I, I wrote a book about the Grateful Dead, for God's sake. <laughs> right, right. Right? Um, I see the logo right behind you there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's my Grateful Dead Wall of Fame. Um, oh, and, nice. and I wrote a book about the Apollo Lunar Program, another one of my loves. The, the book we're going to talk about in a moment, Fanocracy, 
um, which is my newest book, Turning Fans into Customers and Customers into Fans, I wrote with my daughter. You know, and so so I think anytime you can focus on the things you love and um, the types of things you love doing, I think you have a better chance of being able to do your own thing, at least in my in my experience and maintain that that independent lifestyle, if that's what you're interested in. So here's what I learned. It's actually really similar to you because today I uh, this week. Um, I had 10 different podcasts that were booked that I'm a guest on. Wow, nice. Um, and because um, I'm focused a lot on being a guest on podcasts for the launch of this new book I'm doing. And um, there was, yours was, you, you, we originally had something booked in there and you had, we had a snow day. So we had to uh, postpone the recording. And another person had a similar situation, had to postpone. In both cases, like, Woohoo, I found an hour's time. I know, right? And, um, bonus, and right? so for me, I learned that that hour's time, yeah, you can dig in and do emails or something, but um, I used it as sort of a found opportunity to do something I wouldn't normally do. Um, in one case, I, I read um, part of a book that I'd been wanting to read. Uh, and so, you know, just found time can be incredibly productive. Right. Uh, and, and, and unless you can always, you can also just let it soak up um, the things that you would do, be doing anyway, like emails, which um, I have a tendency to do, but fortunately I was able to make productive use to it, use of it. So the snow gods reigned right. this week. And I think they're going to be very angry this winter. <laughs> I, it seems like that might happen. Yeah. So I, I you know, I, I know your, your background, but just again, you came from corporate life. You actually worked down in a, a company down in Burlington, but if you could sum up your journey since living corporate, the corporate world in one word, what would it be and why? So, um, fun. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I've always tried to have fun in the things that I do. Um, the, my corporate career, I spent, um, about a, a little bit more than a decade in the financial information business. I worked for companies like, Dow Jones and Thomson Reuters. And um, I spent 10, 10 years in Asia, actually, in Tokyo and Hong Kong. And so I was always trying to point in the directions where I could have fun, even as a corporate guy. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. uh, and then recently, and well, I shouldn't say recently, because it's been 17 years, but since right. I've been on my own, I'm also focused on, on as much as I can doing the things that I love. I mean, well, that's yeah, it's super important. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of the same way too. Uh, you, you only live one life and try to enjoy as much as you can. Even when I was working corporate jobs, I try to be that glue guy, you know, the guy that's like, let's get away from our desk and go get a coffee or get lunch or get a cookie down at the, you know, at the cafeteria just to, because I think too many people just feel like they're chained to the desk. If they don't get this done and they would be looked at differently and all this, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, take care of yourself. You know, that's, yes. the, that's the most important thing. Absolutely right. hundred percent. No question about it. So, um, you know, your first book, the, well, actually it's not your first book, but the one that really, I guess, impacted me is probably the one that really pushed you over the top. Um, the New Rules of Marketing PR, which I consider like my Jedi Bible. <laughs> you know? Jedi Bible. Yeah, you know, which I actually brought a You know, every every job I went to, David, I brought that book around and just shared it with people because I'm like, nice. this, you have to read this, you know. Um, so it's about connecting your audience and listen to what they wanted, not what you think they wanted. 
um, after the book's release, when, when was the instant that you thought people were starting to get it, that they understood that it's about two-way marketing and not uh, intrusive marketing? What was interesting with that book is um, um, the launch of the book. So the publisher of that book was Wiley. And um, they're, at the time, they were the, I think they still are the biggest business book publisher in the United States. And um, Wiley um, did not think that the new rules of marketing and PR was going to do all that well. Really? Um, they call it a so-called mid-list book. Um, and so we put it out. But what I did to market the book was um, I, um, I listed 147 bloggers in the book itself, in, the, in print. And that. then um, on my blog, I um, put a link to each of those 147 bloggers. And I said, thank you very, very much for your help. Um, because of you, I've been able to write this book and I put you in the book. Awesome. And, um, and so the, my thinking around this was sort of show, don't tell. The idea of the new rules of marketing and PR is that marketing is no longer about advertising. Marketing is about creating content. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, how do I market my book? Well, I can't be a hypocrite and spend money on advertising. <laughs> right. So, um, so um, the, the 147 bloggers who I, I mentioned were either uh, bloggers who left comments on my blog, because I started blogging in 2004, mm -hmm. and New Rules of Marketing PR came out 2007 originally. Mm -hmm. So I was talking, um, I was linking to bloggers who had left a comment in my blog, but blogs that I read and enjoyed, for example, Seth Godin's blog, mm -hmm. um, and, um, and then also um, anybody who had influenced the book in some way as I was writing the book, because I figured every single blog comment that I read added value to me as I was researching and writing for this book. So it was, it was like an earthquake in, in marketing blog land when I did that, because that was back in the day when Google was not the place that you went to for blog search. You went to a, a, a site that very few people remember called Technorati. Oh, I remember it. No, remember Technorati? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. Yep. So Technorati was how we found blog posts and how we found blogs to follow. And Technorati, um, when I linked to all those blogs, um, somebody immediately then copied and pasted all the blogs I linked to into their blog post, citing the blogs that I did. And then, the, and then there were like a hundred of the 147 bloggers that did exactly that. So everybody's Technorati rank shot up, right? Cause Technorati, I don't remember what my Technorati rank is. I have no clue, but I, I don't even remember how it was such a long time ago. I don't remember how they were, how were calculated or, Right. Call, call it 1,000. I don't even know how it worked. But let's say my Technorati rank used to be 1,000. With all of these bloggers linking to me, my Technorati rank all, all of a sudden went to call it 750. So people saw a measurable change in their, in their and, and, and then everyone said, holy crap, who is this guy, David Meerman Scott, you know, and, and, and he's like lifted every marketing blog that that he he mentioned lifted their boats in terms of the rank then what did they do they all bought the book and then everybody who they everyone who reads reads their blog 
thought, whoa, there's an interesting book. Maybe I should check it out. And the new rules of marketing and PR then took off. And it, um, it ended up being six months on the Business Week bestseller list. And it's now in the sixth edition, um, as we're talking. And in, later in 2020, it's going to come out in the seventh edition. And it's also published in 29 other languages from Albanian to Vietnamese. Wow. So I think what was really, really interesting was how um, this little, almost, I mean, I don't even know if I would call it an experiment. It was more like, it was just like my thank you note to the 147 marketing bloggers. My thank you note to them was the catalyst to get all of them talking about the book and then get all of them reading the book and then all of them promoting the book. And, um, and it was really funny because within the next year, a hundred or 200 more, more authors used that technique and it didn't work for anyone else. It only worked for me because I was the, pioneer of that technique you broke you broke the cast that was it right yeah. um, but you and you actually kind of had influencer marketing and viral marketing back then right that's exactly what you kind of did i kind of um, did and i was I, I felt really good about the fact that um i mean i always think that i'm a hypocrite if i don't market my marketing book in the way that, that you said. i'm that the the text of the marketing book talks about right no <laughs> right. No, I so totally agree. Right. You write a book about content marketing and you've got to do content marketing to get it out there, which I did and it worked great. So um, I, mean, I, I actually I'm patting myself on the back right now. For that's that OK. I'll do it for you, too, David. Um, <laughs> no, but it's like, you know, that book's almost like your, you know, your second child because you're always revisiting it. Right. You're always. Kind yeah. Of every every approximately every two years. I mean, it's not exactly every two years right. to the nose, but approximately every two years I update it. Um, that's, that's fantastic. I mean, it's a, what a shelf life. Right. And it's it's still, it still sells a crap load of copies. It sells, you know. 20, 30,000 copies a year, no matter what I do. It's amazing. That's, that's awesome. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you for writing that book because it changed my career. So. Oh, my pleasure. I'm, I'm honored that you would say so and that it did. It, it makes me feel good that the stuff I do actually helps people to um, I mean, I, I think, think it, through what they're doing in their life, you know? Yeah, I think being a creative, an author, you know, social media market, whatever, I think the, main, the major thing you should strive for is making a difference, right? Yes. I mean, for anybody. But um, so... That was 2007. Now we're 2019, 2020. So you've written so many books since, and now your new book comes out, uh, Fanocracy. I have a trouble with that word sometimes. What does that mean? So a fanocracy is when fans rule. And the idea of a fanocracy is that what I, you know, we, we're talking about the new rules of marketing and PR just a moment ago, and, and 400,000 copies in English and 29 other languages, lots and lots and lots of people have learned the ideas of, you know, whatever you want to call it, content marketing, inbound marketing, new rules of marketing, social media marketing. There's lots of different um, kind of terms for essentially the same thing. There's subtle differences, but um, a lot of people have learned the right way Right. through books like mine or through Content Marketing Institute or through HubSpot. Lots of people are teaching really um, effective tools and techniques to use content marketing. The problem is that there's a hell of a lot of people who are doing it wrong and they're doing it in, a, in an obnoxious way. Um, you know, you, you subscribe to their email newsletter and all of a sudden they're sending you five emails a day and it's really hard to unsubscribe. Mm -hmm. Or 
um, they'll connect with you on LinkedIn. And then as soon as you accept the connection, uh, they'll me immediately try to sell you something. Oh, yes, David. Yep. I'm right constant. Um, or um, on social networks, um, you know, they, they're, they're just really annoying. Or, and, and also the social networks themselves, especially Facebook, but all the social networks now are optimized around revenue as opposed to being in the past optimized around delivering content to people. Sure. Um, and, and the whole political world online is so polarized. So I think that the pendulum has swung too far in the direction of superficial online communications mm -hmm. at a time you know, we're, we're, we're at the very, very, very end of a decade, the very, very beginning of a new decade, the decade right. of the 2020s. I think that people are hungry for a true personal connection right now. They're, they're, they're hungry for more humanity out there. And I think that's what's next. I mean, I was fortunate to be able to figure out what was next back in 2007. And what was next was this idea of um, the new rules of marketing and PR. And I, I believe so strongly, Joe, that what's next in the 2020s is a true human connection. And to me, that means a fanocracy. It means fans rule. It means a human connection. It means that the people that you're selling your products and services to are way more important than the products and services themselves. Great. And understanding the people you're trying to reach is essential. And the whole idea of fandom has been so interesting for me to study. And my, by the way, my, my co-author co is my 26-year-old daughter, Reiko. That's um, awesome. Fanocracy, which is, also, which is awesome. And the way, it came out, the way it came about was that about five years ago, so she would have been 21 at the time, about five years ago, we were talking about this idea of how the social networks kind of suck now. Right. And, um, you know, it used to be a lot of fun. It's not so much fun anymore. Um, I mean, I'm not abandoning the social networks, of course, but um, it's just not the same as it was back in the day. Um, but at the same time, we recognize that the things we're a fan of is so important in our lives. You know, as you know, I'm a huge live music geek and I've been Me to several. I know you are, and, and I've been to, we've probably been to the same shows. Possibly, I've been to yeah. 780 live music shows in my life. Oh, I wish I counted. I wish I counted. Um, I'm probably in the 400s, probably 500. Are you really? Yeah, I started, well, I, in, in the early days, I saved my ticket stubs, but now yeah, the yep. tickets are all, so many of them are uh, electronic. Doesn't that steal away from like the, see, it's the same thing with the music industry quickly on a sidebar here, but yeah. like the music industry where I go to a local uh, record store down the street and I'm yep. able to buy the, like bootleg CDs from like yeah. Led Zeppelin from like 1969, which was four years before I was born. You can't get this on iTunes. You can't get that. It's like a treasure hunt. You don't have that yeah. treasure hunt, the liner notes, the, the yeah. album cover. Do you know what I mean? That whole experience. No, I know. I know away. exactly that. I know exactly that. So um, I uh, just, just as an aside from my side, um, I saw Led Zeppelin 1977 ah, at Ma Madison so Square Garden. <laughs> oh, did you? Is that yeah. that's when the, uh, the song remains the same? Is that yeah. what? Oh, uh, um, yeah. It was pretty pretty darn. I I I don't think it was the same year. I think it, the song remained the same was I think a couple of years earlier. Okay, okay. But um, but yeah, Led, Led Zeppelin, Madison Square Garden. We have fabulous seats. We're really close. Ah. Um, but anyway, I was talking. I was talking to my daughter about how I'm a huge massive live music fan and i've seen 75 grateful dead concerts wow um, 
And Reiko, my daughter said, I know I'm a Harry Potter fan, which I knew, but mm -hmm. she's not only read every book multiple times, seen every movie multiple times, gone to the Wizarding World of Orlando theme park and our uh, Harry Potter theme park several times, been to the UK to go on the studio tour. Oh, wow, okay. But she, um, she wrote a 90,000 word novel, an alternative ending to the Harry Potter series, oh, where, wow. where Draco Malfoy is a spy for the Order of the Phoenix. And he, she put that on a fan fiction site um, and it's been downloaded thousands and thousands of times and commented on hundreds of times. So, That's so, fantastic. so she's a huge Harry Potter geek and clearly she's my daughter. So we're different generations. We're different genders. Um, my wife's Japanese. So my daughter's mixed race. Um, we have different fandoms and she's a scientist. She did an undergraduate degree at Columbia in neuroscience and she's now in her final year of uh, at Boston University School of Medicine. So, so as a co-author team, it was really fun to work together. But we both agreed on this idea of fandom and we spent five years talking to hundreds of people about what they're a fan of and dozens and dozens of CEOs about how they've built fans of their business. And that's what turned into Fanocracy. No, I mean, being a fan, as you know, talking to you today with my Star Wars gear on and all this <laughs> stuff, go in the movie, See, and I actually, and we'll talk about TikTok a little bit more, but you hit a good point about they want to connect with genuine people. Yeah. Right, people that, and one of the influences, which I hate that word, I like to call valuance or bringing value and not influence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's talked good. About I, I how, never heard that. Did you make that up? That's I good. Did, I did. I actually trademarked it too. That's nice. Yeah. It's, yeah. And um, this particular person, Jade Vincent, on, she's a big on TikTok now on LinkedIn. She talks about, Generation Z, now the celebrities are people yep. that are on social media creating. Yep. The genuine person. Yep. And now they're kind of pushing, like, because the celebrities are coming on that platform now. Right. But, but being a fan, like, I'm a Boston Bruins fan. Yep. I, I created a Facebook community of, like, 46,000 fans, and I did not pay for any of that. That was all organic. I've yeah. had that. And they're, like, family now. Like, it's something that I do live Facebook. You know, after the game, I'm not always happy. But you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we, have that connect, yeah. we have that connection. And to your point about music, it's the same thing. I mean, me and my friend, we're in our mid-40s, late 40s now. We still go to shows, and that's just – yeah. that's like the first social media, if you think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're bringing uh, you know, people together in a one-like thing and just really enjoying it. So, No, uh, that's, exactly, that's exactly what we found. Um, yeah. you know, and if you, if you boil down five years of research, 70,000-word book, into one sentence it's basically fandom is about a true human connection and so like you talked about your love of the Boston Bruins by the way my daughter also is a big fan nice, um, nice. and um so you you have a, a tribe of people who you can inst even if you've never met them before you can instantly share a bond over the Boston Bruins if I go to um you know uh, dead, dead and Company is the current iteration of the Grateful Dead. If I go to a Dead and Company show, I went to seven in 2019. Uh, if I go to a Dead and Company show, I, I have an instant bond with everybody there. I can instantly strike up a conversation, even if I've never met them, because we speak the same lingo. We're part of the same tribe. No, um, and that's what's really important and interesting about this idea of fandom is it's about tribalism. And any organization, any business at all, can develop that kind of tribalism, um, which to me is fascinating. And my favorite example of that, just because it's so un unusual, you know, we say, we say to people, anyone can do it. And people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm, and then 
they, they say, here's what I am and here's why I can't do it. You know, I'm a B2B software company. I'm an enterprise software company. I'm a dentist. I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I'm a nonprofit company. I'm a government agency. It doesn't matter. People have excuses. So do you love auto insurance, Joe? Is that one of your favorite things, auto um, insurance? Not really, but you can make, you can <laughs> do it well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so everybody hates auto insurance. It's no fun to buy. Uh, and you definitely don't want to use a product because it means you crashed your car. Um, and I was speaking with the CEO of Haggerty Insurance, McKeel Haggerty, and he says, David, everyone hates my business, hates it. So I can't compete the way the other com companies do. You know, I can't compete on price. Um, I can't compete on ad uh, spend, spending more advertising than everyone else. You know, I, the lizards or geckos are going to beat me out every time. <laughs> right. Um, so he said, I needed to, I started to grow my business on fans and they, they specifically insure classic cars. And so they go to oh, wow. over, over a hundred classic car events a year, um, providing value. So they run seminars, they do valuation uh, seminars and so on. Um, they have a, a million, rough, roughly a million subscribers of their YouTube channel. They have 650,000 members of their driver's club. I mean, they're doing a fabulous job. And he's had double digit compound growth every single year since they started and will grow by 200,000 new customers this year. So even in auto insurance, you can develop fans. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in, there's an industry out there that I'm a big fan of, the craft beer industry. Oh, yeah. Like these breweries are building their own communities, their own culture, and their own tribes. I mean, Yes, they are. Like I just went up to uh, Burlington, Vermont area, and that's a big mecca of craft beer up there. And yeah. I went to all the different breweries, and they welcome children. They welcome dogs. You know, and my son and my wife and I were playing old school Nintendo. I was having a beer. I mean, that's like bringing it back to what it used to be to get together as, as people, right? You know, yeah. without, I know we had the Nintendo there, but without being on your phone and not looking at each other and having fun and things like that. And I just love the, the whole down home feel kind of thing. Like we're all family communal tables, things like that. That's, what I think it is, you know, I have a fan of the phenocracy, uh, phenocracy as well. No, that's exactly right. It's exactly right. And, you know, I see, you know, you're wearing, you're wearing a logo cap now, Star Wars logo cap. And, um, and, and, you know, if you go up to those craft breweries, people are wearing um, yeah. t-shirts or hats with that, with that brewery's name on it or logo on it. They might even have a, a sticker on their car or a sticker on their notebook computer. I do. Right. Yeah. Do, yeah. Right. Exactly. So you do. Um, but here's what I noticed that's really interesting is that people have stickers on their computers of all different kinds of companies and organizations and nonprofits, B2B companies like, you know, for example, just as one example, we're both in the Boston area, HubSpot, you know, you, you can't walk down the street without seeing HubSpot logos on t-shirts or, or, or computers. Right. Um, and, and there's a government, a U.S. government agency that has tens of millions of fans you can go to any city in the on the planet and see people with t-shirts of this government agency on i was in i was in the seychelles a group of islands off the eastern coast of africa just above madagascar in the indian ocean last month i was walking down a rural street and somebody was approaching me wearing a nasa t-shirt NASA, yes. Yep. And so NASA is a government agency with sure. tens of millions of fans all over the world. So right. anybody can develop fans. No, NASA, um, the gear is all over the place. Like the last five years, I think it's just been like... Taken off, right? Taken off. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
who does not, I mean, space program is about dreaming. I mean, who does not love that story, right? It's all right. about the storytelling. Um, so thanks for that, David. So we talked about a little bit about influencers and I, and you mentioned, you had like a, a chapter in your book, the book that's coming out. And I want to ask you about that because I hate that word to no end. Cause I just don't feel that you should be living, leading with influence should be leading with value and connecting with others. Right. And then the following then comes after it's a byproduct of it. Right. So that's that value winter word I told you about. Yeah. Uh, I talked to you about. So what makes a good, let's call them a, a lack of a better word, brand advocate. What makes a good brand advocate, brand ambassador? Because I see too many caught, people caught up like, I have to be famous on this platform. I need to have so many followers. <laughs> what advice would you give them? So um, we, and we looked at this really carefully because it is a chapter in the book. And the idea that we came around with, I'd be interested to hear your opinion, is the best ambassadors for a brand, the best ambassadors for an organization, are the ones who truly love that product or service. Uh, and it just doesn't work so well to just pay, pay somebody. So, um, you know, you could pay a Kardashian a few hundred thousand dollars to do an Instagram post about your, your organization, but what the hell is that gonna do? Um, so I think that the best ambassadors, the best brand advocates, the best, you know, if you want to use the word influencers, are those who truly care about that product or service. Um, and I think the flip side, because you asked me about it, is people who become influencers. Um, it's a bubble. Um, you know, just because you have a certain number of followers, um, you know, that's not going to be enough in the future. And right. maybe you can monetize it a little bit now, but um, there's only gonna be a handful of people in each market that will be able to really sustain that um, in a way that that's the only way that you're um, going to be able to make income in the future. And especially, there's so many people who are doing it who are young. You know, you mentioned Gen Z, um, TikTok and whatnot. <clears throat> um, you're not young for very long. <laughs> I still feel incredibly young, but I'm almost, I'm getting close to 60 years old. Um, and, and so, you know, okay. So you're famous on, on Instagram at 18 and you can make a bit of money by um, talking about beauty products, but are people going to care about you when you're 24? I don't know. Maybe they will, but, right. um, um, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, so, so ultimately, it's about, as, as organizations, it's about not just finding some random person with a following to pay, um, but rather finding the people who love what you do. Really? Find, the right, people right. Who are, find the people who are incredibly passionate about your products and services, incredibly passionate about being a part of your community. Those are the people you should be cultivating. Well, to your point, uh, you talked about your blog uh, back in the day about how you found the gold in the comments. You found the fans in your comments. Those are, that's where you really, I think, could recruit those people that really enjoy your product and really back you up. Like, just to give you a quick scenario. There's this uh, person on TikTok who put together these things called Cocoa Bombs. So there's mm -hmm. like hot chocolate, you put it in the milk and expands and what have you. Cool. And I was going back and forth with him in the comments on LinkedIn, actually through somebody else saying, you did not leave the duet feature on your product. This is the duet feature. So you can do a side by side on TikTok. Yeah. The actual video and you can do your own. Oh, so okay. I said, you lost 
that opportunity as for brand advocates to show them drinking your cocoa next to your, your kind of your demo, if you will. Yeah. So I reached out to him and I talked to him and now he's sending me samples and I'm going to kind of do that. So that's more of an organic thing. Yeah. And I love, and I love hot chocolate. I don't drink coffee. So it's right. like, so you're, like, so it's authentic and real. It's honest. Right. Yeah. That, yeah, that's especially, and we'll get into a little bit, but that's exactly what the TikTok And I think a lot of the social channels need to get back to is, you know, being genuine and being, yeah. again. and I think it's just getting away from that, unfortunately. Um, one thing we like to talk about here on the collective, David is collaboration. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, we collaborated and, you know, met, geez, 12 years ago already, you know, I know we right? still talk here it's and there. a long time ago. Is that, is that the year you did the pragmatic marketing course? Was it 12 years yeah, ago? Yeah. Oh, seven, oh eight ish around. Wow. There, yeah. 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 That's crazy. You know, it was like 20, 25 people in a room and now you're doing right. talks in front of thousands of tens of thousands of people. So that's, that's an awesome story, man. That's great. Thank you. you. Yeah. Um, so what does collaboration mean to you? So collaboration to me is almost another way of talking about fandom or talking about fanocracy. Um, you know, I see that people who are pointing in the same direction, whatever that means, people who are part of the same tribe, people who w genuinely want to help one another, um, are collaborative or are collaborators. Um, and, you know, we, my daughter and I, my co-author and I, really wanted to dig into the underlying factors around ideas like collaboration or what, what we call fanocracy, the idea of why and how do people become fans? Or to put it in the way that you asked the question, why or how are people compelled to collaborate? Um, and how can you generate more people who are compelled to collaborate? Um, so I wanna spend just a moment riffing on some ideas around neuroscience that we learned, which I think you're gonna find interesting. I know I've, I'm fascinated by these concepts. So my daughter, as I mentioned, did an undergraduate degree in neuroscience. And so we really wanted to understand what's happening in our brains when we become a fan of something. Um, and it turns out that what's really happening is that all human beings are hardwired it's part of our, it's part of the essence of who we are. It's part of humanity to want to be part of a tribe, to want to be part of a group. Because when we're in a part of a group, we feel comfortable and safe. And when we're not part of a group, we, feel, we can feel threatened. So being a part of a, of a tribe or a group um, also includes the thing that you're a fan of. So you're, you're part of this tribe of, of Boston Bruins fans. Um, you're, I'm part of a tribe of Grateful Dead fans. My daughter, Reiko, part of a, a tribe of Harry Potter fans. And you can have multiples because you're also a part of the Star Wars fan. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and and so, um, so this idea is about a genuine human connection. Again, it's hardwired. It's actually a survival technique that goes back tens of thousands of years around when you're part of the same tribe, you feel comfortable and safe. So, and it's neuroscience, comes from neuroscience. So one um, neuroscientist named Edward T. Hall identified that there's um, several different zones of proximity. So 
public space is further than approximately 12 feet away. In public space, our brains know that people are there, but we don't actively track those people. We don't yet actively worry about them or wonder who they are. But inside of 12 feet, we then in, we very much begin to track them and, and we need to know, our ancient brain needs to know, is this a friend or a foe? Is this yep. person part of my tribe or is this person a potential enemy? And then inside of four feet is called personal space. That's where the most powerful human connections happen. That's cocktail party distance. Yep. So if you think about cocktail party distance and you're at, you're at uh, TD Garden cheering the Bruins, everybody around you is part of the same tribe. You have really positive, positive human emotions happening right there. If you get on a crowded elevator, you don't know those people or a crowded subway train, you don't know those people, you, f you can't help but feel a little bit nervous. I, I That's actually, your ancient brain kicking in. I actually, believe it or not, is that, you know, I'm a very, like people I know I'm very comfortable with, I don't stop talking, but people I don't know, I have like social anxiety, believe it or not. I just have a hard time starting conversations with people. But see, this, but, but that's hardwired. You, you, yeah, you, shouldn't, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't feel bad about that. That's how humans are wired. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because we need, we, before we feel comfortable with somebody, um, they are a potential enemy. That's, how, that's our survival technique for all humans. Right. So, um, so here's what this means, this idea means, for collaboration, what it means for building fans, what it means for living a better life. The more you can bring yourself together with like-minded people, the more powerful the human connections are. So that explains the HubSpot Inbound Conference. I mean, they, it's, they get 25,000 people a year to HubSpot Inbound here in, in the Boston area. And it's a love fest, you know? And it's because everyone there is part of the same tribe. They're all, they all, all want to be better marketers and salespeople. Mm -hmm. um, and HubSpot is the catalyst, the glue that brings all those people together. And then that rubs off on HubSpot, this idea of this genuine human connection. But it goes even further, this idea of, of, of human connection and neuroscience. Um, we spoke with some other neuroscientists who explained to us the power of mirror neurons. So mirror neurons are the part of our brain that fire when we see or even hear somebody do something as if we're doing it ourselves, So let me demonstrate. I've got a lemon in okay. one hand and I've got a slice of lemon here in okay. my other hand. So if I take a bite of this lemon, yeah. oh my gosh, it's really powerful, right? My, my, <laughs> eyes, in, my eyes close, my mouth puckers up. I, right. I, I mean, I can really feel it's really strong on my tongue and, right. and um, uh, my saliva glands are doing their thing. I mean, it's a powerful right. thing to bite into a lemon. And Joe, I bet you're feeling it too a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Just, <laughs> just by just by just by seeing me. And if if anyone's just simply listening to this, not not seeing this right. uh, discussion, you can actually be tasting a little bit of lemon too, just from hearing that. So here's what this means for us. Um, for building tribes and for collaboration. Um, the, uh, the idea of a genuine personal connection inside of four feet, uh, personal space, um, you can create that virtually using the power of mirror neurons if you use video and photographs cropped as if it's in within approximately four feet.
wow. or certainly within 12 feet social space and personal space. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So for that reason, um, if you wanted to collaborate, doing it on video is way better. If you want to collaborate, doing, uh, doing, having photographs and video on your website helps to build fans because people naturally, um, their brain tells, you, tell them, tells them that they're actually close to you when they're not. It's just a, vi a visual image. That's why you feel you know personally movie stars. Right. You don't, you don't know movie stars at all, <laughs> but you feel that you do because your brain tells you, you do because they, you see them on the screen. This also helps to explain the popularity of things like selfies and things like TikTok, because TikTok, many of the, of the videos are done close, closely cropped, certainly within social space, but sometimes even within personal space within as, as, as in four feet from the camera. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, actually is part of the the reason why TikTok has taken off because of that um, of that close cropped photo uh, photo and video idea um, so so this is a tool and a technique that we could all potentially use to to create fans of our business and right. to facilitate collaboration no that great answer that was a great god i love this i love the science lesson that was great i know right it's, no. and 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 i'm so glad that we are able to dig into the point of of learning about fandom to learn, literally learn the scientific aspects of it. Yeah. No, Great. it's so true. Like when I, when I go to a Bruins game, because I told you I do the Facebook live. So I go to Bruins game, yeah. people like, I have a nickname. They call me Papa Bruins. So like Papa Bruins. Nice. And, and I get so shy. It's crazy because like when you're on the camera, you're not because, you know, yeah. they're not looking at you. But when you see them, but it's kind of cool that, you know, having that kind of, I guess, fame or stardom in a way in your own, you know. But you know, life. but you know, ex it, Exactly what I just talk about, talked about explains why you've developed that popularity. It's because people feel they know you. Right. Even, even though they've never met you, people feel they know you. And it's, and it's because it's so close, that, that camera is close. Right. And, and, and people's brains are firing and saying, I know this Papa Bruin guy, uh, even though they've <laughs> never met you because, because of that. No, no, that's, that's absolutely true. And um, thank you for that. I was going to ask you quickly, I think you elaborate, you know, how much of a thrill to write the book with your daughter. That must oh, be yeah. incredible. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when going into it, she was, as I mentioned earlier, she was 21 years old and, you know, we, we went into it as very much as father daughter. Um, I was paying for her college education. She was living in our house um, you know, and it was a bit of a hierarchical relationship, you know, because that's, that's the, the parent-child relationship is. But we realized pretty quickly that the only way we could make it work is if we were equals in the writing endeavor. You know, I couldn't be the boss of this writing project because right. it wouldn't, wouldn't work. She had to be comfortable telling me that a, that a chapter I wrote was terrible and needed to be rewritten. And she wasn't shy telling me that. Good. So, good. So, um, so we came out of this, um, I mean, I'm still, of course, her father, but we came out of this more as equals in a project than, um, than, than being... Um, I'm, I'm superior in some way right, or, right. or higher up on the food chain in some way. And, and I think that's been a beautiful experience for both of us. I mean, I think it's, you know, her being, you know, 26 gives a different perspective than what you would have anyway. Right. That, that completely helps because your, your audience spans generations, not just, you know, right. one. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah, exactly so, right. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll be winding down the next 10 minutes here, but I did want to talk to you and I, I know we talked a little bit off, uh, off air on about TikTok. That yeah. 
Um, you, so just kind of give me your 10,000 foot view of what you think it is and you know, what people have told you and kind of things like that. Uh, yeah, short form video. Um, and I think, um, from what I hear, um, it's fabulously popular among groups of people who use it. Um, I, here's the thing with me personally mm -hmm. is, um, I've, um, I've adopted a number of different social networks as they've, as they've come around. Right. Um, a lot of them I've adopted and not really kept up with. Like for example, Snapchat. I started. I did yeah. a few. I never. I never kept up with it. Me either. Um, I. I. I did Vine for a while. Oh yeah. I never. I'm glad I didn't keep up with it because it no longer exists. <laughs> right. Right. Um, you know. Remember Google Plus? That oh, was. A, oh. That was going to be the biggest thing oh, ever. It failed miserably. And, and it doesn't exist. <laughs> that also doesn't exist. MySpace. Um, yeah. And I know. And I know a bunch of people who love TikTok. Um, mm -hmm. And so. Um, certainly the younger generation um, it, gravitating to it. I think, I think a lot of times, you know, young people want to do something that their elders are not doing, which I think there's an element of that. Oh, yes. Uh, so um, um, I'm, I have not jumped on TikTok yet myself, um, mm -hmm. but I'm definitely um, uh, watching it and aware of it. What's your opinion of TikTok? Well, uh, like I said, I jumped on this because of Gary Vaynerchuk probably about a year ago, just doing videos with my son, lip syncing, having fun. But then I kind of really, after my time freed up because some clients uh, kind of contracts ended, I really started diving into it. Because again, David, it's like the, the, the long standing, this is just a platform for kids to do stupid shit. Yeah. You know, this, that's, but that's, that's what they always say. Facebook. They say that published. about every, they say that about every platform. They Instagram. said that about Facebook. They said about Instagram. They said about Twitter. Yep. Every platform they say that. So I, I don't believe, I don't, I, I don't believe that in it for a second. Right. I, I, and then I'm trying to combat that because again, I'm not 16 or 18, 46, right? I've been, I was not born with social media. I grew to learn it. Yeah. Right. So, Getting on there, I, you know, and talking to, uh, like I mentioned, her name's Jade Vincent. She went from TikTok, now she's uh, spreading the news of it on LinkedIn, which is incredible to build your personal brand, especially at that age. Insane. I give nothing but accolades to her. And she's taught me so much about Gen Z, about how being authentic and genuine and not super over commercialized is the way to talk to them. Right. Right. So I'm going on there kind of mixing it in my social media marketing skills as well as just being me. Yep. And just an example, I did a, a couple of videos that kind of, I guess, went viral. Uh, I was talking to you off and my wife had decided to take on a lot of projects. She wanted to paint the whole kitchen. Uh -huh. And she, she's Filipina. She's five feet tall. She had the whole uh, paint suit on, had the big tent, spraying it and all this. And I took a video. I go, when my wife has her mindset on something, nothing will stop her. Nothing. Uh -huh. And it went over 300,000 views. The comments, like, a lot of women are like, you go and all this, you know what I mean? Nice. Like, it was just kind of like, it's kind of like building a mini tribe on that video, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And, that's um, awesome. And certain things that went viral, which I couldn't believe went viral, like today, don't tell anyone, David, but I'm going to the movies, I probably will take my own food in. Yeah. Uh, I did a video on that when I went to go see The Joker and that 200,000 views, I'm like. That's so sick. funny. You know, that's and, awesome. then, and then the one about fandom, which I think is a good point. Like I said, I'm kind of a crossroads of my career. So I've had, I had good days, I had bad days. And I'm really big into the Mandalorian, which is on Disney Plus. So like that took me away for 45 minutes just to, you know, just go to a different place, right? Yeah. So I kind of did a video about that. Like being a Star Wars fan, I remember at four years old, I went to see the movie with my best friend. Uh, my dad 
made a lightsaber out of wood and back in 1978-79 for me for Halloween. Nice. You know, the old Halloween with just cheap plastic and the yeah, outfit. Yeah, yeah. And now I bring my kids to comic book shows. We talk Star Wars, him, him and I, he's six. It's a generational thing, like you said. It's a generational fandom. Yeah. Right, that, you know, uh, you know transcends over generations, right? We're in, what, 40, 50 years now yeah. with this, with this uh, franchise. And that got like 36,000 views. And people were just like, you're so genuine and wholesome. I'm like, yeah, I'm just a dude, man. You know, I'm just... <laughs> I like to have fun and and things like that. And I'm learning more and more that I think the people that are being genuine and real, the ones that are really going to, you know, really succeed on that platform. Yeah. Yeah. Now I think that, I mean, I don't, again, I don't know that platform in particular, but I do know that that's a very strong theme of our book. Fanocracy is genuine and honest and truthful wins when right. you're recruiting a tribe of people, of fandom, a fanocracy, no question about it. Right, and just to give you an example of a couple of businesses that are using it and just killing it. For instance, there's a, a gentleman known, so when you get on it, just ha- uh, you know, uh, hit me up and I'll tell you who to follow. Okay. Uh, his name is The Bentist, so he's an orthodontist. I'm not sure exactly where he's located, but he does all the trends, he does, has the, you know, does all the fun things that all, most of the community on there are doing. And in a year, he had to open a brand new office because of all the added business. Because all the younger people, were like, I want to go see him. He's funny. He's really in tune with the kids and everything like that. Nice. And then there's another one, a gentleman probably ten years older than me, whatever, has a uh, pizzeria down in um, Florida. He's from Jersey, I believe, originally. Has that Jersey feel to him. Yeah, He's yeah. Really connected with his audience. He does videos and things like that, and it's taken off because. He's, he cares, he's connected. He's not just throwing pizza over the counter and that's it. He talks <laughs> nice. to, you know what I mean? So that really took off as well. Uh, I believe it's in Sando's Pizzeria down in, I believe, Boca Raton. But, nice. and I'm doing a thing on LinkedIn called TikTok for Business and trying to show people like, yes, your industry can do this too. Don't think because like you said, auto insurance, you can't do this. You can, right. You can make anything fun. You just have to be creative and think about it, right? Exactly right. Um, but uh, yeah, so get on it. Let me know and I'll tell All you right. more. Cool. Uh, so uh, that's your New Year's resolution. Okay. Um, and uh, we're going to wrap up with this, Dave. And I know uh, I get to ask you one quick music question before that. So what do sure. you think of John Mayer in the, the new version of The Grateful Dead? So I th- I'm a huge John Mayer fan. You know, there, there, it's, it's, um, it, there's, a mixed, there's a mixed feeling among Grateful Dead fans. And they, a lot of people say, oh, but Jerry Garcia, it was the Grateful Dead. He was the, the leader. Right, right. right. The, pro- the problem is Jerry Garcia has been dead for 25 years. Exactly. He's not right, coming right. back. He's right. not coming back. <laughs> and, so, um, and so I'm thrilled that John Mayer has taken on the Jerry Garcia role in, in Dead and Company because he's a fabulous musician, great guitarist, and, and he's bringing his own stamp to the music. And, and I would way rather go to a Dead and Company show than not be able to see the, the band perform anymore. Right, right. And it's not gonna be very long, you know, maybe it's 10 years, but it's not gonna be very long from now that the surviving members don't play the Grateful Dead music anymore, either because they're no longer with us or because they're too old. Um, right. So I think, I think people may look back at this era and say, you know, this is, you know, it's a really important time for this band. Um, um, and I also, um, 
as you may know, I'm not sure if you know this, but I wrote a book called Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead with Brian Halligan. Brian is the CEO of HubSpot. Right. Um, Brian owns Jerry Garcia's uh, Wolf guitar for which he paid $1.9 wow. million for. Oh my God. And uh, wow. I, br I brokered a deal for John Mayer mm -hmm. to play Wolf at City Field in New York in June. And so we delivered it to John backstage at City Field. Um, and then we're hung out with him um, during wow. the set break. And I've got a pretty awesome picture of me with John Mayer and Wolf. Oh, that's and awesome. Brian Halligan. And, wow. Um, and, and so, wow. you know, John is very, we spoke with him about it. John is very deferential to the music. And um, we offered him the use of the guitar um, three years ago. And he said, nope, not ready yet. Um, I, I don't, I'm not worthy to play Jerry Garcia's guitar. And then finally in 2019 decided that he was ready and we were able to put him, put it together so that he could play. That is incredible. Yeah. Is that on video or anything? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, you, you have to, can you share that with me? Sure. Sure. So, uh, to, to closing, so what are you geeking out on? What are you, what is the thing that you're geeking out on at the moment? <laughs> I'm always geeking out about yeah, something. <laughs> um, I went three times to David Byrne's American Utopia when it was in Boston a couple of months ago. Um, it's now on Broadway, um, and it was one of the most fabulous shows I've, I've ever seen. David Byrne, of course, being the front man of the Talking Heads. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so he did a very small theater run in the Boston area, just two weeks, which is a warm-up for his Broadway run. Nice. His Broadway run, I think, is three, three months or four months. Right. Uh, fabulous musician, amazing band, really creative, really interesting. So I'm geeking about that. That's awesome. Uh, for me, as you probably know, the way I'm dressed, I'm geeking out for the Rise of Skywalker today. Yeah. I've heard all good, bad, and indifferent, so I'll have to make the judgment myself. You got to do it. Make, yeah, make, make that decision yourself. Yeah, but the good thing, the cool thing is that I'm going with my wife, and every time that one of the new movies came out, her and I would always go, so it's kind of like a tradition thing. Excellent. Great. So, uh, David, in closing, thank you. This has been an incredible hour. I just want to give you an opportunity to kind of plug your socials, about your, the book, and so forth. And sure. Other. So um, you can find a lot about the book on www.fanocracy.com. We've got PDFs you can download. There's videos on there, all kinds of stuff. Uh, on the socials, I'm DM Scott. That's D-M-S-C-O-T-T. And if you Google my full name, David Meerman Scott, you will find me and only me because I'm the only David Meerman Scott on the planet. Well, that, geez, that's a phenocracy right there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, David, thank you. I will hope uh, you have a great holiday season. And uh, thanks for joining us on the Wicked Creative Collective. Thanks, Joe. Good fun. I really appreciate you having